Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Passage I'm going to be focusing on right now. Um, Earl mentioned next week we're starting a series through the letter of James. So start reading James. Powerful, powerful letter written by James, who is Jesus' brother. So let's enjoy that together. Start studying it. But for this morning, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's turn there. Now, lots of people today, at least this is what I've seen in America, where I'm from, lots of people talk about the importance of pursuing your passion, right? About having a passion that has so gripped your heart that you gladly invest your whole life in pursuing it. Lots of people talk about that. And, and it is important because we are we're happier and we're more satisfied when we have a passion that is so real and so valuable and so satisfying and so lasting that we gladly invest our lives completely, 100% in it. That's when we're the, the happiest and the most fulfilled. And so it's important to find a passion like that and to give yourself to it. So here's the question. Have you found that passion? Have you found a passion that is so real and so satisfying and so lasting that you gladly throw yourself into it, pursue it, and you're fully satisfied and met in the process? Have you found that? I would guess some of you might say, uh, not yet, but I'm still looking. Okay, well, Matthew has very good news for you this morning, if that's what you're saying. Others of you might say, I think I found it. I hope I found it. Uh, maybe I'm not all that sure. Matthew has good news for you this morning. Others of you might say, uh, I haven't found it, and I've been disappointed so many times, I've stopped looking. And Matthew has very good news for you this morning. Because in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he describes for us a group of men who found that passion. Let's take a look at what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read about a group of men who found the most real, satisfying, fulfilling, lasting passion in the universe a passion which they pursued with all their heart and were full of joy because of it, and a passion which is available to every single one of us. So Matthew talks about in these first 11 verses. So let's get the whole story, starting in verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born, there were some wise men who came to Jerusalem from the east. And the fact that he says it was from the east, you can see this map here, that means it either was from Persia, Iran area, Iraq area, or from the Arabian Peninsula, down where we are. Okay, so either from Persia or from Arabia is where these wise men came. They came from the east and they came to Jerusalem, and Matthew calls them wise men because these were men who had studied literature, they'd studied science, they'd studied religion, and we know that part of their studies involved looking at the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. 
And the reason we know that is because when they saw this incredible star that they'd never seen before, this incredible, we don't really know what it exactly looked like, but they noticed it. It was huge. It was big. It was noticeable. They connected that with the prophecies, and they knew that the Messiah promised in the Old Testament had been born. And so they left wherever they were in the east and traveled to Jerusalem so that they could come and worship the Messiah. That's verses 1 and 2. Now, the problem was that at this time, Herod was the king of the Jews. And they came looking for the one who had just been born king of the Jews. They weren't looking for Herod. They were looking for the real king of the Jews. And so in Matthew 3 and 4, Matthew tells us how Herod and all Jerusalem responded. The wise men came into Jerusalem. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And how did Herod and all Jerusalem respond? Verses 3 and 4. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Matthew tells us that Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled at the wise men asking, where has the king of the Jews been born? Now Herod was troubled, that's obvious, because he wanted to be the king of the Jews, right? All Jerusalem, why were they troubled? We just have to kind of guess My thought is they just didn't want God interfering in their lives. They liked their lives. They were in control of their lives. Didn't want God messing with their lives. And so they were all troubled. So what did Herod do? He gathered the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and he asked them, um, where is this Messiah, the Christ, going to be born? And look at what happens. Here's their answer, verses 5 and 6. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote from Micah, Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah wrote this 700 years before Christ. Verse 6, they quote from Micah, chapter 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the religious leaders knew that Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be a ruler who would shepherd his people. Okay, so what did Herod do when he heard this? Herod came up with a plan to kill Jesus. Verses 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod set up a secret meeting with the religious leaders. I'm sorry, with the wise men. Secret meeting with the wise men. When did the star appear? Because he wanted to find out based on when the star appeared, when Jesus was born. How old a baby, how old a child would Jesus be? So they told him, and then he said, now you go to Bethlehem. When you find him, come and tell me so I can come and worship him too. And of course, from reading later in Matthew, Herod's plan was not to worship Jesus. He wanted to have them find him so he could go and kill him. That was Herod's plan. Of course, we know he did not succeed. You can read the rest of this chapter. But then at this point in the story, Matthew brings us to his main point in verses 1 through 11. The main point of the story, look at what happens next. Verse 9. 
After listening to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is Matthew's point in verses 1 through 11. His main point is to have us see these men whose passion is worshiping Jesus Christ. Their passion is to worship the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Matthew wants to encourage us to have that exact same passion. But now we have to understand what worship is if we're going to understand this passion. What does it mean to worship? It's a phrase we can use a lot, but what does it mean? Remember a long time ago, I heard somebody explain, which was just so helpful to me. He said that the word worship comes from the phrase worth-ship, W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. And worship means you declare the worth-ship, the, the worth of something else. You declare the worth-ship of something. You enjoy the, the worth-ship of something. You display the worth-ship of something. So to worship Jesus Christ means declaring his worth, enjoying his worth, displaying his worth. And there's lots of ways that, that we can do that. You could worship Jesus Christ for 10 minutes this afternoon by going into your house and kneeling down in your bedroom, opening up a psalm, or just saying, Jesus Christ, I love you. I adore you. You are powerful. You are loving. You are gracious. That's worship, right? You're declaring, you're enjoying, you're displaying his worship. You can worship the Lord Jesus by being here 10 o'clock Friday morning as we're singing and declaring the worship of Jesus and studying the worship of Jesus in the word. You can worship Jesus by reading the scriptures on your own to learn more about who Jesus Christ is. You're worshiping Jesus when you fight against temptation so you don't dishonor his worship. You worship Jesus Christ when you gather together in home groups and strengthen each other to see Jesus' worship and enjoy his worship together and display his worship together. So just like Tyler said earlier, our lives should be lives of declaring, enjoying, displaying the worship of Jesus Christ. This is the passion that these men had. And what Matthew wants us to see is how did they worship? What was their worship marked by? And he gives us three very interesting traits, descriptions of their worship. What does Matthew tell us about the wise men's worship? Verse 9, he says that they saw the star, which they had seen, travel, and it led them right to the house where Jesus was. And when they saw how God had guided them right to where the Messiah was, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, don't just read right over that phrase. Think about this. Not just joy. Okay, we know, we know what joy is, right? But it's not just joy. It's great joy. And it's not just great joy. It's exceedingly great joy. 
What would you act like if you were rejoicing with exceedingly great joy? Yes, right? Exceedingly great joy. That's, that's how they were rejoicing over the Lord Jesus. And so they worshiped Jesus with passionate joy. Passionate joy marked their worship. Now, have you tasted this kind of joy? Exceedingly great joy. If you haven't, could it be because you're pursuing the wrong passion? Could it be that the passion you're pursuing won't give you the joy you were created to have in worshiping the Lord Jesus? So they worshiped with passionate joy. Then in verse 11, Matthew says, they went into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So they walked, just pictured, they walked into the house, these wise men. We don't know exactly how many. Tradition says there were three because of three gifts, but Matthew never tells us there were three. There may have been more than three. But here they were, they were wise men, wise, dignified, educated, wise men. And what did they do? They fall down and worship Jesus. Jesus would have been less than two years old at this time. And these wealthy, educated, dignified, wise men, with exceeding great joy, fall down and worship Jesus Christ. Now, this shows that they worshiped not just with passionate joy, but also, secondly, with deep humility. Now, why would they worship with deep humility? It's because they knew Jesus Christ is the one prophesied in Isaiah 9. A, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He is God in the flesh. Bow before him. We are creatures. He's the creator. Bow before him and worship him. That would have given them deep humility to recognize that he's God. They would have also known from studying the Old Testament scriptures that they had sinned against God and needed a Savior and that Jesus would be the Savior, the Messiah would pay for their sins. So they bowed down knowing that they were undeserving, that they needed forgiveness from a merciful, gracious God in the Messiah, and so they would have worshipped him. So they worshipped with deep humility. Then notice also that they gave gifts to Jesus of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Expensive gifts, very expensive rare gifts. And I think what Matthew wants to show us with this is that they, they worship Jesus with complete devotion. I mean, here they are with just extremely expensive gifts, and in giving these gifts to the Messiah, to Jesus, what they're saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you are worth more to me than these expensive gifts. The joy of worshiping you, the joy of enjoying your worship is more satisfying to me than whatever these gifts could buy me. I display your worth by taking these precious gifts and honoring you with them. Complete devotion. So, passionate joy, deep humility, and complete devotion. So Matthew wants us to see these men were passionate about worshiping Jesus Christ, and that's how they worshiped him. But Matthew isn't just wanting to give us a history lesson about what happened 2,000 years ago. He wants to call us to this same passion. He wants to call us to the passion of worshiping Jesus Christ. 
So ask yourself honestly, what is, do you have a passion? What is your passion? What is it that you think about in your spare time? What is it that gives you the greatest joy, that causes you the greatest concern? What is your passion? Matthew would tell us, and he's telling us this by the authority of the Holy Spirit giving him this to tell us, that the only passion worth pursuing, the passion that you were created to pursue, is the passion of worshiping Jesus Christ. That's the joy you were created to have. And in this passage, Matthew gives us three reasons why we should adopt that passion. Three reasons. Need some reasons? Matthew gives us three of them. Why should we worship Jesus Christ? Three reasons. First, because Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Now look again at verses 5 and 6. This is amazing. I don't want you to miss this. The scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests, told Herod, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, from Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 700 years before Christ, Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was a tiny, little, barely even a village, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And 700 years before Jesus was born, God directed Micah to say that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And 700 years after Micah wrote these words, the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Now, I would encourage you to go home this afternoon, open up to Micah chapter 5. You've got this, his book in your Bibles. This is a historical document that we have before us. 700 BC, Micah wrote it, prophesying the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah predicted where he would be born. Now, think about this. How often are you able to predict events 700 years in the future? How often can you do that? Half the time? Right? Any of the time? No. None of us can predict events 700 years in the future. No human being can do that because we don't know the future. Only God can predict events 700 years in the future. Because God not only knows the future, God plans the future. And so the fact that God, that Micah predicted an event 700 years in the future shows that Micah is writing God's words. Old Testament is the word of God, just like the New Testament. Micah, prophet, writing under the authority of the Holy Spirit, shows that Micah is writing God's word, and it shows us that Jesus is the Messiah because he's the one who fulfills God's prophecy to be born in Bethlehem. So Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. We can know that clear historical evidence by looking at this prophecy given by Micah and fulfilled by Jesus. So why should you worship Jesus Christ? It's because he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah to a T. He fulfilled the prophecies, which shows that he is fully man, a baby born to us, and fully God, whose name is Mighty God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. He is God in the flesh. He is your king. He is your savior. Change your passion to the true passion you were created to have, worshiping God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. That's the first reason Matthew gives us. Two more coming. That's not enough. That's, that's plenty. Matthew gives us more. Second reason. Because Jesus is a ruler who shepherds his people. Look at verse 6 again. Micah says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, underline that word, shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so Jesus is a ruler. We see this from this passage. The Old Testament prophecy said God's going to be raising up a king in the line of David, a king like no other. Jesus is the king. We saw that two weeks ago. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God created everything. So Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, created everything. Jesus created you. That's why you are here. And so as, by virtue of his creating you, he is your king. He's your rightful authority. Bow before him. Worship him. But a lot of people have a wrong picture of what it means for Jesus to be king. Because a lot of kings are wicked kings. A lot of kings are tyrants who abuse and hurt their people. And that's why this is so powerful because we read that Jesus rule is a ruler who shepherds his people, Israel. Shepherds care for their sheep. Shepherds protect their sheep. Shepherds provide for their sheep. Shepherds guide their sheep. Shepherds love their sheep. Jesus is a ruler who shepherds his people. When you receive Jesus into your life by, by faith alone, when you trust Christ, receive him into your life, not because of how good you've been, but just because of his mercy through the cross, when you receive him, he becomes your shepherd. Those of you who are trusting Jesus Christ, you have a shepherd who loves you, who promises to guide you every step of the path, who will provide everything you need, who will protect you. You have a shepherd. Now, this last week, I was reading a book written by a woman whose 54-year-old husband was dying of cancer. Both loved Jesus, knew Jesus. And as it became clear that he had just a few days left, she was writing in her journal about how Jesus was her shepherd. And I wanted to read you what she wrote. Here's what she says. Do you have a slide here for that? Oh, good, there it is. We knew we were living in the presence of death. The grief was keen and the tears flowed freely. But our amazing, all-powerful shepherd was with us, looked out for us, provided for us, guided us in his paths, and anointed our heads with the oil of his spirit. They knew Jesus, who is the ruler who shepherds his people. I love that. That's why our passion should be worshiping Jesus. Because he is a ruler who shepherds his people. One last reason. We should worship Jesus because he will be worshipped by every race and every tongue and every tribe. 
That's why Matthew tells us the story of these wise men, or it's one of the reasons he tells us this story. These wise men came from the east. They were not Jewish. So why would they come and worship the Jewish Messiah? It's because Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And through Jesus, God will save men and women from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And in heaven, you will be surrounded by men and women worshiping Jesus from every nation and every tongue and every tribe. Now, let's just, let's just take a little trip up there. I want you just to imagine being there. Okay, you've, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ in this life. You weren't perfect. He forgave you. His power was changing you all by his grace alone. You trusted him in this life, forgiven. And so you know the moment that you die, when he returns, right to heaven. No condemnation, no punishment whatsoever, total love and forgiveness. You're there. You're standing before Jesus Christ. You see him face to face, and he is welcoming you home. He's loving you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you're there face to face with him, and you know You're humbled. You know, the only reason you're there is because of what he did on the cross. You weren't good enough. You'd sinned. You deserved judgment. His work on the cross forgave you. All glory to you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. So you're going to see him. And when you see him in his love and his compassion and his majesty and his power and his glory, his godhood, the fully man, fully God, when you see him before you, everything in this life that you suffered will be worth it. Every trial in this life, oh, Jesus, you're worth it all. All the sin temptations you fought against, oh, you're worth it all. Any suffering for the gospel, you're worth it all, Lord Jesus. Any difficulties you faced in this life will be worth it when you see Jesus. And when you see him in his love and his glory and his power and his royalty and his majesty, you will fall down on your face and you will worship the Lord Jesus Christ but it won't be you all by yourself. You will be surrounded by a vast multitude that no one can count. Surrounding you, just picture this, surrounding you, worshiping Jesus Christ, will be Guatemalans and Latvians and Russians. Right? Surrounding you will be Pakistanis and Indians and Arabs, right? Germans and Americans and Mexicans All the nations, every ethnic group, every nation, every tongue, every tribe will have people that are worshiping Jesus Christ. And when you see Jesus being worshiped by all these different nationalities, every skin color, every language, every culture, it'll be clear Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. Look at what he's done. Saving men and women from every ethnic group, every nation, every culture, every tribe, and you will fall down on your face even more passionately and fervently to worship him because you'll see he's the savior of the world. Glory to Jesus Christ. What a savior. What a God. That's why I want to call you. And more important, that's why Matthew wants to call you. And even more important, that's why God wants to call you this morning to make the worship of Jesus Christ your passion for 2016. Make worshiping Christ your passion. There's only one passion so real, so lasting, so satisfying, so transforming 
that it's worth giving your life to. And it's the passion God created you for. Worshiping Jesus Christ. Now here's the good news. It isn't a matter of making a New Year's resolution, gritting your teeth, trying really hard to do this. Here's the good news. If, if we will come before Jesus Christ this morning and join the wise men in bowing down before him, and if we will trust Jesus, look to him and trust him, then he will forgive us for all the times we haven't worshipped him. Complete forgiveness. He will change our hearts so we want to worship him. We love to worship him. We enjoy worshiping him. See, no matter how unspiritual you feel right now, it makes no difference. All of us started off feeling completely unspiritual, completely far from God. Jesus Christ will change your heart. You don't change your heart first so that you can come to him. You come to him and he changes your heart. So we bow down with the wise men. We trust Jesus. He'll forgive us for our lack of worship. He'll change our hearts so we want to worship. And he'll fill us with joy as we do worship him. So Tyler, why don't you come on up? We're going to move into a, a worship song now, just to, to join the wise men and to worship. So Father, I pray that you'd bring your power upon us right now as we worship you. We want to join the wise men. We want to worship Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who feel far from you, help them to see, Jesus, that you can change their hearts. You're not asking them to feel spiritual before they come. They can come just as they are, and you will welcome them, you will forgive them, and you will change them. Lord, for those who need to be forgiven, you hold out free and full forgiveness for everyone because of what you did on the cross. So we want to come, we want to worship you, Jesus Christ and join the wise men. Stir this passion, Lord, for worshiping you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We want to give ourselves to you afresh this morning, January 1st, 2016. Forgive us for the other passions that have been sneaking into our hearts. Thank you for helping us see those clearly this morning. And we want to turn from those and turn our hearts completely and totally, humbly, devotedly, joyfully back to you right now. Jesus Christ. We want to give ourselves afresh to worshiping you in 2016 to beholding your worth, declaring your worth, enjoying your worth, and displaying your worth. So Lord, strengthen us with this. We can only do this by your mercy, your grace changing our hearts, forgiving us when we fail, but thank you that as we turn to you and say help from the heart, you hear every time, and you work. So we're turning to you, saying, help us. Savior, help us, Lord Jesus. We want to worship you this year.